Hi everyone, Jack here. Uh, before the episode starts, I just want to take a moment to thank some of our patrons. Um, thank you to Theo Hendry, Jace Pastris, Mordecai Sennett, Ollie Science, Juno, Olive Aodwolf, Crow, Jan Aloni, Dylan Beauchamp, Prozac Haven, Aaron Sabo, Jupiter McIntyre, Connor Fox, Emery Silvers, Saffron, and Adrian Frisbee. Your support means a lot to us. And now on with the episode. It's hard. Wait. I put a marker, but 
are we are we censoring episodes that people don't pay money for? Yeah, let's just. I keep think it. we should. Yeah, let's just. Keep you it. must pay me at least two dollars to hear me say. F- <laughs> I like that you prepared that one. <laughs> you can't see it uh, because unfortunately the computer stopped recording. We'll figure out a camera situ- situation. Eventually, there will be video episodes, and eventually our audio quality will not sound like we are locked <laughs> in a cavern. <laughs> It's we're we're coming Hello. back. We're coming back. Hello. It is a rough opening. <laughs> oh my god! Please let me out. <laughs> um, God, these chairs are squeaky. They are the worst sound in the universe, and we are so sorry. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay. Oh, Christ alive. We are this episode. Um, this is, is as most episodes made in as the first of the season what as our last season opener was it's just a recap of things we enjoyed or had thoughts about over the summer yeah um it's the se- it's the season in between season recap that is yeah it's the here's what you missed while we weren't yelling at you every week about like why about why capitalism is ruining the film industry and yes. also and also it also further contributing to bigotry and especially racism yeah um, so do we have anything for the news section, or are we just going to jump into speaking? I, I have news, and it's that the Camilla Cabello Cinderella came out. Oh, yeah. It's real bad. Did you watch it? No. I've heard sounds from it on TikTok, though, and one of them is a cover of Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson. That's what that's from? <laughs> oh, no. It's so bad. Uh oh. That's Camilla Cabello and Idina Menzel. Uh oh, besties. It's so Real unfortunate. <laughs> and I want to know. Okay, so this is like a girl boss Cinderella, but they aren't using any of the songs from the original Cinderella. It's a jukebox musical. And it was apparently James Corden's idea, and James Corden is one of the f- guys in the musical. Wow. You're gonna have to censor, put a little marker there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the mice, and apparently this was James A. James A. Caster is also one of the mice. No, not James A. Caster. <laughs> he means so much to me. So Idea Menzel plays the plays the wicked stepmother. Okay. And uh, they make her sing Madonna Madonna's Material Girl. Why is the cast stacked? <laughs> Hold on, let me pull up the cast list because it's real funny. This is. I'm not liking this. We're starting off on a bad <laughs> note. <laughs> Here's the cast. Okay. Camilo Cabello as yeah. Cinderella. Nicholas Galitstein as... Uh, James Corden as Mouse One. <laughs> James Corden is Gus Gus, I'm assuming. Uh, and then James A. Caster is Jacques. I want to know that pr- that they named the prince rather than Prince Charming. His name's Prince Robert. I think his name is... He has a name in the original movie. It's Charming. Is it... I mean, he doesn't have a real name? No. His name is Prince Charming, and that is the beginning and end of it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Billy Porter plays the fairy godmother. Billy Porter? <laughs> and they call the fairy godmother Fab G. <laughs> <laughs> Idina Menzel plays the stepmother. Everything James Corden does is a hate crime. <laughs> Everything James Corden does sets us back 60 years. Mm -hmm. In everything. 
Idina Menzel plays the ugly stepmother who they named Vivian, by the way. Just for no reason. James Corden plays a mouse named James. <laughs> they give the, the king and queen names. I don't care about that. John Mulaney is in this movie. I don't know what he's doing. They got John. They got the two best white man comics of the of the day into this movie. Uh, Maddie Bellino, uh, who is I want to know. She is one of the only fat actresses in this movie, and they're making her play an ugly stepsister. That checks out. Yeah. Uh, James Acaster plays a mouse named John. <laughs> Uh, Missy Elliott is the town crier. Uh, Charlotte Spencer plays Drizella. And that's kind of the end of, like, the people that Damn. people might know. That's such <sighs> Can I read the plot? No. <laughs> I don't want to know. I want to know. I refuse to watch it, so I'm going to make you all listen to the plot, because it's bad. Oh, it's an Amazon original. Yeah. I muted you. Cinderella is a 2021 romantic musical film based on the fairy tale, barely. Uh, is it? I, how different is it from the original story? Besides that the fairy godmother is called Fab G and played by Billy Porter. Hold on, I gotta find like the Wikipedia page so it's like the plot. I okay. The less I know, the better about this movie. Ella is an ambitious young woman who wants to establish her shop. Dresses by Ella one day in her patriarchal no, society. No, because this is Cruella. No, I'm not done. This is Cruella, no. but Cinderella instead. Mm, doesn't matter. Uh, she catches the eye of Prince Robert. Cinderella's in the mom got killed by a pumpkin. <laughs> My mother was killed by a glass slipper. <laughs> <laughs> God. Cinderella is a fashion designer whose mother was killed by a glass slipper, and later it comes out that Fab G designed the glass slippers. It writes itself. It writes itself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, she catches the eye of Prince Robert in the guard changing ceremony. The next day, the prince dresses a commoner, goes to the market where he finds Ella trying to sell her dresses and buys it from her. I really do not want a play-by-play of this movie. <laughs> he finds her. He later invites her to the ball being held two weeks later with the premise of her being in, of introducing her to various people from the world to sell her dresses to. <laughs> this could be. This could be. Like, The Prince and the Dressmaker, almost, but I know it's not going to be. No. <laughs> I want to... Okay. Sorry, I'm, like, reading ahead right now, and this Good. is so... I don't want... I don't want this. <laughs> Jesus. This is so bad. Uh, so this is really just Girl Lost Cinderella, yeah? Yeah. And the entire plot is just hinging on, like, capitalism. Yeah. Not even It's admit. Cruella Cinderella. Cruella. Oh, Corinderella. Cur- Corinderella. <laughs> See it on Amazon.com. Amazon is so hit and miss as a platform. Because mm-hmm. one day you'll get good, good omens. The next day yeah. you... They made... I think it's just that their TV shows are infinitely better than their movies. Oh, yeah. Because it's like you got Good Omens and you got Mrs. Maisel and then you got the Aeronauts and this... And you have Invincible. Yeah. Which is, like, such a good show. Yeah. And then you turn around and you get 
this. And then even their shows, there's Carnival Row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My guilty pleasure. It's so My bad. guilty pleasure, Carnival Row. Have you seen it? <laughs> seen Someday it. I'm going to make you watch Carnival Row. That may be an episode. I'm going to make you watch specifically the episode where they visit Cara Delevingne's homeland. Yeah. Um, and you find out that Orlando Bloom, whose name is Wycroft Philistrate. I cannot stress this enough. His name is Wycroft Philistrate. You find out he's half fae. Um, so that's exciting. It's huge. Yeah. So, I just wanted to, like, yes, that can be an episode, but also, our goal for this season is just to do as much weird as possible. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm, I want to bring up the fact that there is a Guy Fieri restaurant being constructed across from our school. Yes. And I feel like if we did a review of Carnival Row and the Guy Fieri restaurant, that would really bring something together. <laughs> I don't know if I can justify that morally to myself. Morally? Yes. I think that goes against my moral code somehow. Somehow? Yeah. I don't know, man. Should we start going through this list? It's a long list. It is a long list. It was a busy summer. Oh, first one is one that I get to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. Which is Werewolves Within 2021. Um, It's a movie. I watched it in theaters. Um, I people have been like mad about this movie, um, and not in the way that I was expecting. Because what I think should happen with this movie is that it should go the same way as Venom, um, which is that critics are allowed to think it's a disaster. It kind of is, um, but like it's so good. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, must a movie be good? <laughs> is it not enough to just have Harvey Harvey Gillen play? a horrific gay stereotype and have there also be a werewolf there. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's it's fun. The way that I've described it to people is Knives Out, but it's in rural Alaska. Everyone is so crazy. Everyone is just insane. And someone is a werewolf, but you don't know who. Um, it is it. also the directorial debut of Josh Rubin, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was part of the College Humor cast, and he is the guy who pretended to be a dog very homoerotically with Brennan Lee Mulligan on Game Changer. Um, it's that guy. He directed a feature film. They let him. <laughs> they let him do that, and he didn't do that bad of a job. It's, yeah, I... I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it the sound design is like weirdly good. Like it's not a movie that I went into expecting it to be like cool in any like like I didn't expect it to do anything new or interesting with production. But like the way that the sound mixing like contributed to the plot, it was very neat. I I liked it quite a lot. Um, Sorry, I keep sometimes remembering Carnival Row and the Guy Fieri. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, the it's it's like clearly the first movie of Josh Rubens, right? Um, but it's like great. It bangs. Um, I think it deserves like cult classic status. Um, I think that if it became something like Rocky Horror or The Room, it would do very well. You wouldn't be disappointed. No, I I desperately want it to go the direction of Rocky Horror, where it becomes a thing. 
that would to be... like go to a werewolf's within showing. Like it's that kind of movie. That's good. I like yeah. that. Okay, I'm yeah. into that. And I don't mean that in like a it's cinematically excellent way. I mean that in a is it not enough to watch Harvey Gillen wear little gloves that don't cover his whole hands for the whole movie? I think Harvey Gillen is simply allowed to do whatever project he wants forever. He is. He's allowed to play terrible gay stereotypes in Werewolves Within. He is a gay man, so if that's his choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason he's allowed to. Yeah. Cool. Uh, speaking of Har- Harvey Gillen, can we please talk about what we do in the shadows? We can't talk about two. what we do in the shadows. We watched this yesterday. Yeah, season three just started. And oh boy. Oh, what a start. First of all, good as ever. They never... F- I have not seen a What We Do in the Shadows episode where I'm like, this isn't very good. Like, they don't miss. No. They simply don't miss. Like, I've never seen an episode that isn't, like, above okay. Yeah. Like, at, at worst. It is just good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not... Okay. I, I do like mockumentaries. Um, but... I also have very high standards for mockumentaries. Like, right. I don't like The Office, but I do like what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Um, it's because the style they do it doesn't make... It doesn't take you out of it to remember it's a mockumentary. It feels like just a part of it. Yeah. And it's like... I don't know. I feel like part of the humor of what we do in the shadows... I was talking about this while we were watching it. Is that, yeah. like, everything that's happening... Also, the camera crew is there. Like, it's not like things that are filmed in different styles where it's like these crazy absurd things happen but it's just happening to the characters Mm -hmm. like in what we do in the shadows there's always the knowledge that like there are people with cameras and microphones watching all of this happen and it just adds like another layer of comedy like it's so funny there's a scene where Guillermo like gets locked in a room and has to escape out of a vent and there's a cameraman in there with him and that's just like so funny to me yeah because it always improves the humor like the second episode which is what we're gonna it's like a joke chaser yeah like, it's like the joke happens and you're like, that was funny. And then you remember that there was like some poor underpaid documentary filmmaker witnessing it. And it's like, chaser for the joke. Yeah. Like there's, in, in episode two of uh, season three, there's like a joke where he, where Nandor is trying to flirt with like a receptionist, but he's not the one doing the flirting. So he gets kicked out of this gym. Like and four times. Like four times. But he's, it's always different people disguised as Nandor and he yeah. keeps getting kicked out. And it's the same guy that comes to come that comes to kick him out, and they like pixelate his face out, and yeah. it was so funny. It killed me. Yeah, the fact that they pixelate his face is just great. Um, the best part of season three, though, is a big if not then why moment. <laughs> they, yeah. It is so homosexual. Like it's one of the few comedies I've watched where gay people are, number one, not the butt of the joke, and number two, it was so naturally integrated. Yeah, it's like, yeah, just like, the things that they are building up with Guillermo and Nandor's characters. Like, this is one of the few situations where if it didn't happen, I would actually say, that's queer bait. Yeah, I, yeah, it has put us in a horrible position as devout fans of Taika Waititi and devout fans of the show where, like, they've dug themselves a hole where 
the only conceivable direction they could go from here is to make at least Guillermo canonically gay. Um, and if they don't, oh boy, they're going to have to deal with the fact that they did queer bait. And they're not in gonna, 2021. And they're not going to be forgiven so easily. No. Because <laughs> it's Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clements, which, yeah. which means they're being held to a much higher standard than most people. It's like, yeah, the, the way that this can go is either excellent vampire gay rep, just beautiful... Gay gays in comedy, it'll be great. Or or Taika Waititi becomes a homophobe. And it's gonna be real interesting to see how that plays yeah. out. So I'm like, I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> it's like it's- I like I have a gun cocked. <laughs> I'm like, it better happen. Hey Taika. <laughs> like because here's the thing. The reason we're saying I'm this. sitting knife in hand, yeah. watching every episode of what we do in the shadows. Yeah. So quick spoiler warning for what we do in the shadows, season three, episode two. Uh, I will tell you whenever it stops. But for but we really have to review this so you could fully understand like why this is so why we're saying yeah. it like this. Guillermo goes on a date with someone Nandor has a crush on, disguised as Nandor. And spends the entire time talking about how complicated and unrequited the relationship between Guillermo and Nandor is. Because it's worth noting in season two, their entire arc is them learning to see each other as, like, friends and respect each other. Yeah, as equals. And then Nandor, not Guillermo disguised as Nandor, actually Nandor, comes in after that date. Um, And Meg, the girl that... Guillermo as Nandor went on a date with is like, hey, you should ask out that guy Guillermo. He seems really into you. I'm a lesbian, so we can't date. Mm-hmm. But you seem really into Guillermo, and you like men and women. And then Nandor goes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, like he just casually things that make you insane. <laughs> it's the way that they just casually confirm it. It's not like a joke. Like the joke of that is like. She's like, yeah, you like men and women, that's okay. And he's like, yes, I do. You like men and women too, right? And she's like, no, I'm a lesbian. And that's the joke, is that... It's just, yeah. Man, they better. If not, then why? (laughs) Yeah, because, like, here, not only do they have that scene of Guillermo being like, yeah, we have this really complicated relationship. Yes, I forgot about the end of the episode, too. Yeah, because you have the first part where Guillermo's like, yeah, we have a really complicated relationship, and sometimes I take him for granted talking about himself in the in the third person as Nandor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I don't feel like he's going to leave me because he still really likes me, and I don't really know what to do with that information. Yeah. And she's like, well, you should go after him. And he's like, I know, but I don't really know what to do. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. And then Nandor, yeah, Nandor comes to Laszlo, and they're, like, debriefing the whole situation, and then Nandor's like, well, at least you have Nadia. And that's, like, the end of the episode. No, it's Nadia who, like, shows up, and she's like, oh, yeah! She's like, why are you being, su- why are you being such a little pussy boy? And she's like... <laughs> that is what happens. Yeah, and he's like, well, maybe the reason I'm being so soft and I'm being, like, so weird is because I... It's because you have your Laszlo to share your life with. I have no one. But he has Guillermo! Also, all of the first episode is Nadja and Laszlo being like, we should kill Guillermo, and Nandor being like, I don't think we should. 
Yeah, Nandor's like, let's not unpack why I don't think we should, I just don't. Like, Nandor actively advocates yeah. for Guillermo, and also, like, he, like, throws a chair in anger whenever they're like, we're gonna yeah. kill him. Yeah, so. it's just, if not, then why? Thank you, by the way, to Mash Tumblr for coining that phrase, because it's so applicable to all of the media I watch. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of the spoilers for what we do in the Shadows Season 3. Welcome back people who watch what we do in the shadows and didn't want to be spoiled. Um, so, after that, we have some real special stuff. <laughs> Please let me do this one. Yes, you may. Okay. So, at this point, we should just give up. <laughs> because we had a rule that we wouldn't talk about Supernatural anymore. Yeah. But they don't stop. They don't it stop. It just keeps coming. And so... I feel like we have to rescind. Yeah, I feel like this is our... We'll have to title the episode this so people know. This is our formal recension of the supernatural rule. Yeah. Uh, We're lifting the supernatural ban because it keeps go- it keeps coming. So, to recap, for those who were mercifully away from the supernatural parts of the internet this summer. Yeah. There's a spin-off show. Yeah. We'll get to that. There's a spin-off show that Jensen is Working Jensen out. Ackles is um, a large part of the production process for. This is important because Jared Padalecki didn't I know it was happening. I have it all pulled a, up. Here. A didn't know it was happening. B had asked Jensen Ackles to be on CW's Walker, and mm-hmm. Jensen Ackles refused. And so Jared went on a whole little uh, pussy boy <laughs> Twitter rant it, uh, where he was like, I'm gutted. And then this isn't what friends do. And then the news came out from Jensen that he was considering pitching a pilot in, to the CW about not only a supernatural uh, like freak show, uh, freak show reboot, but about John Winchester. John Winchester, you know, the <laughs> abuser. <laughs> Known abuser John Winchester <laughs> with some ASMR for you. And he said, and I quote, this is why I pulled this up. Et tu brute? Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what et tu brute? Wow, what a truly awful thing you've done. Hashtag bravo, you coward. <laughs> That's so good. I think the premise of the show is John Winchester filling out the book. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) Again, if you've mercifully not watched Supernatural, there is this book that John Winchester kept that was like, here's what werewolves are like, that they referenced for the first couple seasons and then, much like everything in Supernatural, forgot about it for the sake of moving on to a different terrible plotline. So, like, I think that that's what the plan is, is that it's him filling out this book. That doesn't yeah. change the fact that he is one of the most, like, categorically disliked characters in the whole show. Yeah. Also, He's not even there for very long. Like, he makes very few real appearances, and he's hated. Like, the amount of vitriol for John Winchester I still have, and I don't even like Supernatural yeah. anymore. How are you going to make a whole show about that man? Yeah, it's not even pitched yet. No one's picked it up. But I am... Just the idea of it happening. And also, I literally... You can't see it, but I was, like, crying laughing at... Bravo, you... Hashtag 
hashtag bravo, you coward. And Jensen, uh, Jensen, Jared said, uh, this is an interview from Jared Padalecki regarding the situation. In June, you posted on Twitter that you were gutted to learn that your former co-star, Jensen Ackles, and his wife, uh, Danielle, that's her name, okay, were working on- You didn't know that? I thought it was Danielle. No, it's Danielle. Okay. Danielle, we're working on a supernatural prequel without your knowledge. What exactly happened that night? I I hadn't heard of it. And then he and I chatted the next morning. He just kind of explained, man, it's not picked up yet. It's not even written yet. He know he knows and I know how much supernatural means to both of us. And it wasn't a secret he was trying to keep necessarily. It was just something he didn't really feel even existed yet. But he has been like, hey, I'll let you know what's going on. I love Jensen deeply. He's my brother. He has been for years. And he will the always be. The problem is that, like, <laughs> what? by the end of the show, no one liked Jared Padalecki. He really he really ran out of his good graces. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I'm gonna close my computer, because this is... Men who have fallen so far from grace. Truly. Yeah, and... I don't know. Part of me is, like... Eats eats up supernatural news and drama, um, just like mm, tasty, tasty, tasty. Uh, and so part of me is like, if if a spinoff show happens, it's going to be so fun to watch from the sidelines. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of me is like, please, dear God, do not make more supernatural. <laughs> Have we not been through enough? Also, I want to note at the end of this quote, this very long quote, he says. I try to avoid social media as much as po- as much as possible because of that. Okay, stop being a little baby on Twitter then. <laughs> Quick cry. God, didn't he unfollow everyone? Yeah, he unfollowed everyone. Uh, he ha- he threw a fit and yeah. then he del- threw a little he threw a little tantrum like a baby <laughs> about supernatural. Yeah. And I also want to note while this was happening, Misha Collins was like. Happy Pride, uh, Castiel is gay and his wings are rainbow, and also there's a hundred thousand fix on AO3 about Destiel. Yes, the other thing that happened is that Misha Collins was like, there are over a hundred thousand Destiel fix. The problem is that many of those are only available to registered AO3 users. If, if... Misha Collins didn't have an AO3 account. If he wasn't a card-carrying member of Archive of Our Own, he would have only seen 98,000 fix. And just... I hate it here. I don't want to know these things. It's the fact that... And yet I do. It's the fact that Supernatural... Cass just keeps talking. Is the issue. It's, yeah, it's not just that Supernatural needs to be over and dead, finally. It's that the cast members need to go off the grid (laughs) forever. I love Misha, but he needs to stop. He needs to go buy a cabin in the woods and He needs to go away. (laughs) He needs to go buy a cabin in the mountains and never speak again. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I guess we need to talk about all the Marvel that happened, all the superhero content that happened this summer. Yeah. Which is just... I haven't seen any of it. Uh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm living such a good life. I haven't <laughs> seen a Marvel property in so long. Unfortunately, uh, because I have notably horrible, morbid curiosity about things, I did in fact go see them. Uh, here's my review of each of them. Okay. 
Loki. Let's go over Loki real quick. First three episodes. Fantastic. Really liked them. Uh, starting to get real dicey around episode after episode three, though, because here's the thing. You could tell the director and the writer and, the, and even the person who did the score were all in disagreement about, like, whatever the nature of the relationship was between Mobius and Loki and Sylvie and Loki. Right. Because here's the issue. The director, Kate Herron, clearly had a different vision in mind where Loki were, like, brother and sister and, like, learned to bond and love themselves by being, together, by being like, around one another, you know? But then you had the writer, Michael Waldron, Michael Waldron made his entire pitch on Loki and self-sessed. So. Oh. Yeah. Wait, that was the whole pitch? That was his pitch to get Disney to pick it up. That's awful. Mm -hmm. I thought that was something that he just slipped in there as his own little perverted game that he's playing with the general public. Mm -mm. He's like, like, how... How close can I get without outright admitting that I was in the Onesler fandom? Yeah, no, Kate Her- Kate Heron wanted something entirely different. So whenever she directed these scenes, they gave a totally different energy than what the writer intended. So you could see, it's like they're working on two separate group pro. They're working on the same group project, but they were working on two separate parts of it. Right. And what I know about Loki is that picture of Tom Hiddleston kneeling with a collar. Yeah. No, I think that that's the part of the internet I'm on. I think the cinematography in it is great. I love the set design in it. Beautiful. I love the costuming. Uh, And the reason I brought the composer into it, by the way, is that she wrote a Lokius theme, which means that she's also on a different wavelength over here. Right. So, like, everybody is doing something different. Yeah. So, like... And that's where the show kind of went wrong because there were some really strong points in it, but then near the end it kind of got dicey because it was like we have those really cool moments of like of like Loki Loki and Sylvie bonding and realizing they have a lot in common. Really interesting mm-hmm. moments like that. Uh, you have meeting the other Lokis, but then you have uh I've never heard of a female Loki. It's like you're gender fluid, you moron. Loki, you are a female Loki. You you're all female Lokis. You're all male Lokis. That's the point. You're both. Yeah. Oh my god. My, I haven't watched Loki because A, I've sworn off Marvel content, except I will be watching Spider-Man No Way Home and hating every second of it. Yeah. Um, um, and I will be hate watching the Hawkeye show. Those two things aside, the other reason that I didn't watch Loki is because I'm so picky about time travel content, uh-huh. and I'm even more picky about parallel universe content. And from what I have heard, they did not pull either of them off in a way that I can stomach. I think there was some really good time travel content in the first three episodes where they talk about like trying to figure out how the other Loki is hiding from like the the TVA. Right. Because there's this really funny scene where they go back to Pompeii because they're talking about spoilers for the Loki show real quick. They talk which shocking if you haven't watched it, but still. Uh they talk about like oh sh- uh, the other Loki must be hiding in these like natural disasters and like horrible things, and that's how they've been able to escape detection because it's the destruction of like that point in time, and there's so much going on that it would be impossible to detect an anomaly being created. And so Mo- Mobius is like, "Ah, oh, that's really interesting. I will let you test this theory, but only if I can come with you." So they go back to Pompeii. Yeah, and you get this really funny scene. Like honestly, maybe laugh out loud because I was like oh that's so good is 
Loki basically, he's like, Mobius is like, okay, we're gonna stand back here and we're just gonna observe. And then Loki's just starts screaming like, you're all going to die! Everything's going wrong! Life means nothing! Dance until you're dead! And then he releases a bunch of goats from a car and they all go running out. And then he starts throwing food at people. And then nothing happens. That's so funny. I'm like, that's excellent! I want more of that! And then they don't give us more of that. My thing is, like, the second time travel and parallel universe content brings in, like, oh no, alternate versions of yourself. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. I don't care. No, I think Loki, the idea of Loki was good because I think it's so funny that the ultimate variant in the universe is Loki because Loki is just so, is just such a rebellious figure and yet he's also so predictable. Yeah. I think that's very funny and that's a good concept. I just don't think they did it very well. Uh... Black Widow, I also went and saw that, but I think it was genuinely just a fun movie. It wasn't anything significant to note. Uh, I think it wasn't like the girl boss movie of the year. We're good. Okay. Sorry, we had some technical difficulties. Yes. Okay. So, where was it? Yes, Black Widow. So, Black Widow, it was fine. Like, in no. Like, I thought it was a good movie in, like, the sense that it's just fun to go watch and, like, eat some popcorn and watch it. It's a popcorn movie, if there ever was one. Uh, however, it's not the girl boss movie people so desperately want it to be, and I don't think it has to be. I think that's such a weird standard to hold every movie with an all-female cast to. Yeah. Like, I don't think it needs to be the feminist movie you desperately need it to be. I just think it was fun. Cool. Uh, I think it had feminist themes, per se, but I think that's just... That's always going to be completely downplayed by the fact that it's a Marvel property first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So, like, whatever interesting message it may have had just kind of loses its edge whenever you consider the fact that it's Marvel. Uh, so, yeah, that's my thoughts on Black Widow there. Uh, I think the only other one was Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Suicide Squad was the one I actually watched. Um, yes. That's a DC movie. And it was genuinely a good time. However... I do want to note it had a major issue with the fact I think it's I think it's anti-capitalist messaging was really interesting and actually had a really good point. But the issue is that they said it in a country that was primarily brown and thus they were just killing brown people for most of the movie. So it's like This is the plight of superhero movies. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying like I usually that's something that you kind of just have to like take note of in a movie mm-hmm. then but that's not the primary plot. This is a part of the primary plot. Yeah. Like, and that makes it even worse than, than it usually is. Like, it's already pretty bad to do that in a movie. But then on top of that, you're trying to, like, make an intro- You're trying to make, like, an anti- a, Like, anti-capitalist message. Like, you're- Unfortunate. Like, that just loses the plot there. If your superhero team is anti-hero, let's just go with that is killing brown people for most of the movie. Right. So it's a good movie, but, like, you do have to look at it a little bit critically from that perspective of, like, what could they have done better? hmm But I still think it's a genuinely interesting movie, and I think it's worth giving a watch, as long as they're not super sensitive to body horror in a lot of, in a lot of cases, because it's a pretty gory movie. Yeah. Uh, finally, okay. Shang-Chi came out. Uh... I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. We'll get back to it. 
Yeah. Whenever I can actually go see it in a theater, whenever there's only like six people in the theater. <laughs> That's how I see movies now. I will go to a theater, but only if it has like six people in it. Right. Max. Yeah. Um, um, I watched Green Knight. Yes. Oh, we forgot to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, me too. We're probably gonna see it. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it and have deeply mixed feelings about it. Yeah. That's just how it's gonna be. Because Tom Holland is such a good Peter Parker. And Spider-Man. Such a good Spider-Man. Why does he have to be in the current Marvel state? Yeah. If you really want to get into more of our thoughts on, like, Peter Parker in the We have a whole episode. Yeah. But... Let's just put the long story short of it from somebody that actually, from people that actually know something about Spider-Man, which is that this trailer just showed this stuff we could have had earlier with like the Sinister Six and yeah. with, like Green Goblin and like all that stuff. They didn't have to be from the different universes. They could have just done this stuff earlier, and they didn't need Tony Stark. That's just what it shows me. And also, like, it shows me that like. They were just ripping off. They really, it really does just confirm to me, which is something we all already knew. They were just blatantly ripping off Miles Morales, and this is genuinely the only times I felt like Peter Parker is Peter Parker yeah. in a movie. So that that's the abbreviated version of my thoughts. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh, and it's like Tony's. Yeah. Um. I have said this before, but Spider-Man: Far From Home is the movie that made me stop liking Marvel. Same. Um, and part of it was that, like, even the movies that Tony Stark isn't in are, like, so haunted by Tony Stark's presence. And I like Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I He is, besides Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man is my favorite MCU franchise. Um, but it's, like, the way that he just enroaches on everything. He doesn't is, know how to say it. I am, yeah, I am just tired of it. And... The way the way that he interacted with Spider Man and the way that Tony Stark like created Spider Man instead of Peter Parker is a problem. And like I know that so much of the third movie will have that same like spectral presence of Tony Stark, and we're not going to be allowed to forget that that guy was there. Mm-hmm. Like, because we're gonna be reminded that Peter is Tony Stark Junior for like the seventeenth. Because time. it's like the only. I don't know. They've the MCU has dug themselves such a hole where every movie that they make has to be connected to every other movie that they make. Exactly. And so like Spider-Man is supposed to be like a local hero. Yeah. But he can't just he can't be a local hero because everything he does has to connect to the Avengers. And Which so it's like it's such a failure whenever you consider the fact that most of the actual uh, Spider-Man comics, Peter is not even a part of any real superhero team. Yeah, and it's it's the same thing with like the Guardians of the Galaxy had to be an Infinity War and Endgame, and like they shouldn't have been in my opinion. It was fun to see them interact with Peter and Tony, but like they shouldn't have been in. Uh, Infinity War and Endgame, but they had to be because it was the only way to connect them to the Avengers, and everything has to come back to the Avengers and therefore to Tony Stark. Yeah, it's just like so many desperate attempts to shoehorn people in. Yeah, it's like they've yeah, they've really just like 
written themselves into this horrible corner and standing in that corner is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. <laughs> and I also want to point out that's the ol- that's the reason like their Peter Parker feels so soulless compared to other iterations is because they're like we need to figure out the easiest way to loop this kid into the MCU. Yeah, it was like they approached Spider-Man from they didn't approach it from, like, we have this really good idea for Spider-Man. They approached it from, Spider-Man needs to be a part of the MCU, how are we going to do that? And it's like, the intention behind it shows, and it they got away with it in Homecoming, um, because it was such a, like, genuinely fun movie in a lot of ways, yeah. but then, like, they did not get away with it in Far From Home, and... I don't want to assume that they're going to get away with it in No Way Home. No, because, like, you can't... Like, fool me once, shame on me. No, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you. You know? Shame on me, but... (laughs) 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 Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Point being that if you do it the third time... If you do it the third time... (laughs) Stop. Stop making movies. Yeah, if you do it the third time... Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh uh, god. I just I want to talk about the Green Knight now. Yes, let's yeah. talk about him. Um I watched this in theaters. Same. Which I recommend. Um For the experience. Yeah, because A, it's a movie that l- looks stunning um and deserves to be seen on a big screen. B, it is also a movie that is very dark. The lighting <laughs> Oh boy. Oh boy, it's lit like a Harry Potter film. Oh boy, it's lit like a like a mid-season supernatural episode. So like watching it in a large dark room is helpful. Um I my thoughts about it are that I need to watch it again because I went in I am not a person who can get into super atmospheric movies. I well. It's my I I say this as someone who, one of my favorite movies is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, but, like, movies, and 1917, but movies that are just, like, people in environments, you know, that's not doing anything, are not movies that I genuinely, generally gravitate towards, and so, like, I went into this movie expecting it to be much more character-driven and much more about... Gawain Garwin's journey. Yeah, um, why is there just a random R in his name now? Yeah. Um, and so, like, the fact that so much of it was just atmosphere and just, like, setting um, threw me off, and it was very hard for me to get into. Um, but I I think that if I watch it again knowing what I'm getting into, I will like it a lot more. I liked it because it was just him interacting with this with this yeah. environment. And it was so pretty to look at. It's just like the whole time I was like, when is he gonna talk? When are when are they gonna have a conversation? <laughs> I liked it because it felt so innately connected to his emotions rather than to his like need to speak because it was like a solo journey. Yeah. I liked it for that reason and I liked that it was mostly him like realizing like, oh I'm kind of a douchebag. <laughs> Like, that's the entire movie. Yeah. And him realizing that in order to be a good to be a good person and a good knight, he has to, like, be a good person. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was missing in, like, comparison to, like... Because, uh, like, the other knights are kind of assholes. And he was like, I need to not be an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... 
That's why I'm saying, like, if I watch it again, I think that I will like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to accept that it is just Dev Patel walking through the woods looking pretty. Yes. Instead of Dev Patel going on a vocal spiritual journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it not enough for a movie to just be Dev Patel? See, it is pretty. It is enough. It's just at, not at all what I was expecting from it, yeah. which is on me. Um, but I, I really thought that it was stunning um and i loved the costume design i loved the costume design i loved the design for the green knight Mm -hmm. he was beautiful i want to be the little bandit man that little boy that stole that little boy who almost kills dev patel and steals all of yeah Um. i want to be him he was so special to me um (laughs) <laughs> I, I, it is a movie that I could so easily write a, write a, um, treatise on, write a dissertation on, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been calling it Dev Patel and the Magic Comrade. <laughs> Are we going to censor that? No. <laughs> Come is not a bad word. Um, because it is, it is literally about... Dev Patel and his comrade. Yeah. No. I cannot stress this enough. Yeah. I've been saying, every time you say that, I'm like, oh, that's the European title. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to explain. (laughs) No, you just have to experience that little shit. It's just like, it is so, um, surprisingly erotic. It is such a horny film. Yeah, it is so deeply horny. (laughs) Um, it is just like, Nothing, none of the expectations that you, that I went into with this movie were filled. No. Like, it did not go at all according to plan. (laughs) Whatever you think this movie is going to be, it's not that. Yeah, and like, I, I do enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say the ending was amazing, though. Yeah, the ending was beautiful. Um, I will not shut the f*** up about that. Yeah. Oh, mark that. Right. Um... I'm trying to come up with another way to phrase my thoughts that isn't just like, it's not what I was expecting, but I think it's good. Yeah. uh, I think it's good. It just threw me through several loops. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Nearly. We only have a third of this list left. Let's go. The giants in The Green Knight? Beautiful. I really like that. I really liked that this world was just fantastical and you had to accept that as part of the situation. Yeah, I did love the, um, like, magical realism of it. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Uh, let's see. We need to talk about the big summer- we need to talk about Broadway. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I- I didn't want to either. Yeah. Broadway- but- Hades Town is coming back. Yeah, we That's may about it for good news. Yeah, we may go see the national tour if a we can afford it and b COVID. Yeah, um, yeah, we I talked about this in the Broadway episode yeah. where Broadway, the theater industry, has a lot of catch up to do in terms of even performative reform. Um, like Hollywood had the Me Too movement. And Hollywood has had, like, thoughtful call-outs about 
its representation and its treatment of its workers. And Broadway has that, but has just done less about it. Um, and I think their reckoning is starting late, but it's starting now. Um, and it's yeah. just like, it's honestly kind of annoying to like watch them go through this and be like, why haven't you done this sooner? Mm-hmm. Why why are you so behind? But like, uh, there's the all of the news that came out about Alice Ripley. Which, if you were not um, informed, she, uh... Being a little groomer. Yeah, we'll have to put... We'll put a warning in before this episode starts, but... Yeah. Alice Ripley, uh, it came out via a TikTok done by one of her, uh, done by one of her victims that she was grooming young teenage girls. Yeah. And Holly, uh, and Broadway, uh, the way they tried to defend her was by being like, well, she's not interested in girls. Okay, she still groomed them, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Broadway is having a little reckoning, and they're not doing a very good job with no. it. Uh, even though they literally have blueprints they can follow on how to get through it. Um, and also, not only did they have Alice Ripley, but then immediately after it's followed by Laura Osnes. Yeah, Laura Osnes, not a groomer, as far as we know. Just lied about uh, her COVID status. And we're all expected to exposed a bunch of people in her cast. Um, and this is just a bunch of stuff like this is happening where it's like Broadway people are getting recognized as being like heinous. Yeah, yeah, there's always been this idea that like because Broadway, because theater is often seen as like a more a more artistically expressive medium than things like film. It's assumed to be more progressive. Um, And so it's like, there's this idea that people who work in the theater are like generally pushing harder for a more equitable future than like film actors. Which is simply- And people are realizing that isn't true. (laughs) Simply not the case. Yeah. Um, Everyone is a scumbag everywhere. (laughs) that's what you should take away from this but you know we have it's it's time like time for what it's time for this to happen oh yeah like it's like you were saying it's completely overdue and if Broadway suffers for it yeah so be it yeah it's what they deserve because they need to suffer consequences for protecting like these terrible people. Yeah, I no longer care about any industry. No. That's my new position. <laughs> Stop investing your time into the industry. Stop being emotionally invested in industries. They don't care about you. Being be- um, you start being invested in the work <laughs> start being invested in the work of artists who are actually trying to do good things for people. Yeah. But good thing that did happen involving theater this summer. The In the Heights movie. See that segue? That was smooth. Thank you. In the Heights, I wept openly in the theater watching this movie. It is so excellent. Um, they they did do uh, some aspects of the Broadway story dirty, specifically uh, Abuela's um, influence on people who aren't Usnavi. Um, but in terms of movie musicals, Oh, it was so good. Movie musicals have done this thing recently 
um, especially with things like Greatest Showman, where they are more concerned with being movies than musicals. Um, but In the Heights was so much more concerned with being a musical than a movie, and it made it a better movie yeah. than a lot of movie musicals have been. I just said movie and musical way too many times. <laughs> but like, it reminded me a lot of very old movie musicals like West Side Story um, because it was it was less about changing how musicals are structured to make them more filmable and more about changing their filming techniques so that they could have like these huge dance numbers um, and like these beautiful performances. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that opening sequence? The quick? opening sequence with Usnavi and the people are dancing in the window reflection. Mm-hmm. I, and then the train scene. God, I love I love the opening sequence because it really set up the fact that they were like, yeah, this isn't going to be a traditional movie mu- musical. We're going to embrace the medium. Yeah, and like I have my problems with In the Heights, but I think overall, if you're just looking at it as a movie, like great movie. Yeah, like, I enjoyed it. I had a great time. Uh, I I also am in love with Anthony Ramos. This movie did not change that. No, I think he's. Um, I think it just proved that he was a talent and he deserves to be a leading man more often. Yeah. Paciencia y fe, uh, which I probably just butchered the pronunciation of. Paciencia y fe. Paciencia y fe. Uh, one of the best scenes of a movie this summer. Oh, for sure. God, the train, the dancing, the performance. She put her whole pussy into that performance. <laughs> 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 no, Abuela went all the way. Abuela put her whole pussy into that performance. <laughs> it was such a good number. And, like, I love the way that each number was set up. Like, I was talking about with the opening sequence. I love the dance sequence, and I love that you can see in the reflection. But what really got me about, like, the opening sequence, like, was the way that you watch them interact, like, between each other. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. And then they hit you with the dance number, and I was like, Yes! And then Paciense Fe was just, like, the little cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... In the Heights is such a great character musical um, in terms of, like, it is just people interacting with each other. Um, and I don't know. I I think that the movie did a really good job of carrying over that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, we won't discuss the barber scene. The 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 salon scene. Oh. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, that's not ours to discuss. Okay. Um, what else do we have? Oh, you should talk about Fear Street. Ugh, my little horror boy. I loved Fear Street. So for those who don't know, Netflix did something a little experimental, which is exciting. Uh they released a horror series that all at once they released three movies that go together. So it's not like three separate movies, it's three movies that tell a whole story. This is essential to know. Uh, Fear Street 1994, Fear Street 1976, and Fear Street 1666. Oh, I'm so good at this. One of them is 1666? Yes. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why, that's just very funny to me. It's a little humorous. Okay. Uh, but yeah... 
thoughts? No, I thought it was great because they like set, they do the a reverse queer bait on you and they make you think that like because like the beginning of the movie they set you up spoilers for Fear Street real quick if you haven't watched it and you like horror and you're like oh I don't know how I feel about slasher movies this is a good slasher movie it's more than that it's a good time it's a little campy but it's a great time and I love it um, but they set you up to think that because basically she's like, I have to go get my stuff from my ex. And she's like, I, I have to give this stuff back to back to them. And I don't want to. And her friends are like, you got to give it back. This is so bad for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, after the night after there's like this big massacre at the mall, uh, they have like this vigil. And so uh, the main character, uh, Dina, takes the opportunity to give her uh, to give the stuff back to her ex, Sam. And she's like... And she goes to find Sam. She doesn't see Sam there. And, but she uh, initially, but then she sees Sam rubbing up on this other, on this other person there uh, at, the, at the vigil. Like, and she kind of runs out. And Sam runs after her. And you realize that Sam was a cheerleader. Nice. And I'm like, lesbians? Very cool. And then you're like, oh, lesbians. And you're like, oh, they're probably going to die though. But then they don't. Ooh. They make it through all three movies. Oh, I, I love that. And I'm like... And the Wait, it's the same lesbians? Yeah. It's the same... Because the movie the movies are all about the same story. How do they get to 1666? Okay. What's really interesting is basically... I love the setup of this movie because it's so good in, like, the best kind of campy way. Basically, there's these two towns. One is called Sunnyvale and one is called Shadyside. Okay. So, like, the whole thing is that this Shadyside has, like, this crazy curse on it where where people, like, call it a curse, basically. That mm-hmm. the witch cursed them, like, in back in 1666 named Sarah Fear, and Sarah Fear put a curse on them that someone would inevitably turn into a killer every year and go on, like, a killing spree. That's fun. Yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah, but people... But that's more just, like, a town rumor. People just assume it's because Shadyside has something wrong with it, and they're like, it's because of the people there. It's a really interesting metaphor for capitalism, actually. Uh, cool. But, basically... But Sunnyvale is, like, this really nice place. They've had no crimes for, like, 30 years. Uh... And so the whole movie starts out with Sam having moved from Shadyside to Sunnyvale. And that's, like, seen as a very integral moment because it's, like, Sam. Because there's, like, a rivalry rivalry between the two towns because it's, like, you have it so much better over there. And you can't act like it's not different because it quintessentially is. Right. And, uh... Basically, the movies like explore over the generations, like the how seventeen seventy nineteen seventy seven is uh seventy two is about uh like the the first person who the person they try to go to in nineteen in the nineteen ninety four movie who survived um, the massacre last time uh, because usually there are no survivors of these massacres, right? So they're trying to ask her like, how did you survive? Uh, so then. Then 1666 is about what actually happened with the curse in this town. Cool. So it kind of goes through the generations, but it always comes back to 1994 at the end of the movie, or like at the beginning of the movie, so it all kind of ties together nicely. Nice. It's a great franchise. You should give it a try if you have it, and you're like, and you're into kind of campy experimental horror. It's a great time. Cool. I love it. I'm going to talk about Reservation Dogs real quick. Okay. Um, it's the other Taika Waititi project that I have been loving lately. 
Um, I'm only an episode and a half into it, so it's I'm I'm not the biggest authority on it. But so far, it is just very good. Um, it's the yeah. The general premise of it is it takes place on I believe a Cherokee reservation, mm-hmm. um, and these four characters are saving up money to move to California because uh, they hate it there. And then they get into this like pseudo gang war with three with a group of three other people. Yeah. Um, and the main character keeps getting visited by um this like other this the ghost of this man who died uh at at Custer's last stand um but in like a really stupid way <laughs> and it's it's very good um i recognize that because i'm not native a lot of the humor is just lost on me um like i the the native people who i've talked to about all of Taika Waititi's work are like his humor is so specifically indigenous um but like I'm not native, and it's still a great show. I have such a good time watching it. Um, yeah, there's it's like- just it's really good. The way, sorry, yeah, the way that they portray um, just like life on a reservation is very cool, um, and all of the characters are super fun. They remind me a lot of the characters in Kids of Appetite, um, which is one of my favorite young adult books, um, because they are just they're just very good like, offbeat young adult characters. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's a good show. 10 out of 10. I've been wanting to watch it so bad. It's just, like, I I love I love it. I, also, the main character, so pretty. <laughs> I like, I really like that, I really like that it's just a project that's not, that it's just blatantly native and it's not, like, trying to be anything else. Yeah. Like, it's just being itself and I think that's great. And I don't think it should have to be for anybody else. Yeah. And I've, like, I've seen a bunch of TikToks being, like, this is why this specific part of the show is so funny to Native people. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's cool to watch the show and then go online and, like, see people seeing themselves represented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's much else to talk about. No. Do you have recommendations? Recommendations. What have I been watching lately? Spider-Man 2002. (laughs) Great movie to watch with your friends. Uh, Personally, though, I do recommend what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Uh, If you haven't given it a chance yet... At least watch the movie. At least watch the movie? But... I personally feel like the show takes the movie and improves upon it. Yeah, the show is, um, I don't want to say better, but, like, there's more to love. <laughs> like, it it takes what the movie had and, yeah. like, improves upon the Because it's like, yeah, the movie was, like, an idea that Taika and Jermaine had. Yeah. And then the show is, like, they got to run with it as far as they wanted. And they got to really refine the ideas they had yeah. and the humor. It's just so good. And the difference is there, but it doesn't mean that the movie isn't fantastic. No, the movie is fantastic. It still is It still is fantastic. It's a funny movie. You should go watch it. But I personally think the show just takes those ideas that they had and really makes them into something so special. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you haven't given it a chance... Please do. All the actors in it are so funny. Yeah. Not a single actor. There is not a single lacking actor in that show 
they all hit their beats like that. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin Novak in the mo- who plays Nandor in episode and season two, three, episode two. Oh he my does a god! Great job. His comedic timing is perfect. He's, he's gorgeous. They they had they made him carry that episode, and not only did he carry it, but he just lifted it. Yeah. So give it a chance. Give all these actors like give all these actors the support because they're just like really talented, cool people. Mm-hmm. My recommendation, um, and then I'll do the spiel. The spiel. <laughs> I get to do the spiel again. Wow. Um, my recommendation is the new Bleachers album, Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. I am uh, a hardcore, unapologetic Jack Antonoff apologist. Mm-hmm. Um, I love everything he does. I think he's a great musician. And this album is like a little bit of the, a departure from like the Bleachers sound, but in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of like new instrumental stuff that I enjoy. Um, I haven't listened to it like in depth enough to like really comment on his songwriting in it yet but i do every song bangs um it's a great like it's a great like driving around album Mm -hmm. um it's just it's good and i would listen to it all right this has been lukewarm takes and i've been jack and i've been ford we are a brain rock presents production um uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are brainrot underscore presents. That's presents with no ease. Anywhere your little heart desires, any little platform you so choose. Um, if you hate that we're part of an entity, if you hate that we're CEOs, <laughs> um, we are lukewarm takes EC on Instagram. Uh, we also have a Patreon for brainrot presents. If you want to subscribe and get a fruity little pre-show um, and hear us say. Safe- uncensored (laughs) uh and we if you don't want to pay us every month we have a fundraiser uh all of that will be linked below all of the money goes towards paying our voice actors and editors and writers as much as we possibly can and all these other lovely people because they work really hard yes um our episodes now release on tuesdays uh hopefully We couldn't get the camera stuff to work this time, but eventually there will be video episodes on Patreon for you all to see. Um, Also, we have started recording some of our brainstorming sessions for Lukewarm Takes, uh, where we create notes for the episode. Um, And that is a perk if you are, I believe, a $10 patron and up. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to hear us come up with what we're going to talk about on this show, Patreon. Yeah. We have one. Also, I do want to note, just for going forward, if anybody here was somehow listening to us via the WECB, uh, we are no longer going to be a part of that entity. So that is just something to note going forward. Yeah, we are no longer streaming live on WECB. Um just because we don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah, we feel that our audience has kind of gone outside of that, and we don't really need them to, like, actually... <laughs> We're too big for the score. <laughs> that is not what I meant. I just meant that... I think it is. <laughs> is that what you decided to do? <laughs> you think that we've outgrown Emerson College? No. Ford is dropping out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that... No, I just think that too many people that listen to this show are not in Emerson College. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, we're not live streaming our episodes anymore. Yeah, we don't feel like it. it. Yeah, we don't feel like it, and not enough people who go to Emerson College listen to this show, so. Yeah. Alright, um, 
thank you all for listening. Uh, cheers to a, a wonderful new season. Who knows what it will bring us? <laughs> Guy Fieri Restaurant. Guy Fieri Restaurant. Goodbye. Goodbye.